live. Is that not good? I mean, we're live. We're live, so. We're live. There's not any going back. Welcome to the Zeit. We have some really exciting news this week with our expert guest on Paul Thomas Anderson, The Kid. But we're going to get into that in a second. I'd like to just lead off with a quick apology to our many listeners. Our chief platonic ontologist, KY, gave me a formal censure last week for having a bit over a pint and a half of bourbon before our Magnolia episode. Turns out some of the things I said were not super coherent. So that's okay. You know, we live and we learn. Just want to go ahead and say sorry about that. I will limit myself to no more than one pint of bourbon before all future episodes. Nothing to apologize for. I think we should celebrate the fact that we tried it out, we experiment, and we learn. That means a lot, KY. Appreciate that. Well, on that note, before we do the show intro, let's go ahead and give, I guess, a welcome to our... Special guest. Special guest, the kid, Paul Thomas Anderson, expert. Check, check, check. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me, you guys. Well, can you give us a quick intro? I mean, obviously you're are the greatest PTA expert that yes, yes, uh, and yes. friend friend of the Zeit. But give us a quick intro of what the kid's all about. Okay, so uh, absolutely complete fraud. Uh, now that I'm here, there's nothing you guys can do about it. <laughs> no, I um, <laughs> just been a huge PTA fan since probably I was a freshman in high school and uh, studied a little bit of film. I don't know if I was in any classes with y'all, but a little bit of film at in college. And um, it is my theory that I'm going to try and push on you guys that 2007, it's all been downhill from there in cinema. So, so we'll talk about that. Yeah, it's funny. You you are like the formally trained film theorist here. I think I am not classically trained in the film arts. More of a self-learned scholar. What about you, Radford? I'm a dilettante. <laughs> I pretend like I know things that I don't know. And I talk about them after drinking a pint and a half of whiskey. So yeah, yeah. pretty excited to have you on board. Um, Thanks for having me, you guys. Which leads us... Yeah, well, honestly, let's let's keep you around. So let's let's talk about. So this is our second in the series of Paul Thomas Anderson. We started off with Magnolia. I can't remember what we talked about, obviously, but I do think we talked about something about Paul Thomas Anderson. This is our. What are we going to do? Four or five weeks on this? Yeah, I think we got uh, B nights coming up in the not too distant future. I think we have Bucky nights. Uh, the Phantom Thread. And after that, it's a toss-up. It's actually a surprise. Oh. Oh. Phantom, What's up? <laughs> Phantom Thread is a, is a good movie. Oh, yeah. I, what do we th- We love Punch Trunk Love. Punch Trunk Love is going to be your, your real underground five-banger, as you might say. Really? But for very different reasons. And, Dark Horse. And obviously, exactly. And the master could be up there, so... Ooh, master. Ooh, the master. I okay. Well, also on Netflix right hmm. now. I think actually all of PTA's movies are on Netflix right yeah, now. Yeah, they are. They're doing a joint venture with the site, so it's like a watch. Yeah, yeah the site. Yeah. yeah, But Bradford uh, spent 
I think twenty five dollars on Amazon renting all of yeah, these movies. So I did. No, just Magnolia because I couldn't finish it, <laughs> and I kept renting it every twenty four hours for another three ninety nine until I got up to about twenty four dollars, and then I realized that it was free on fucking Netflix. So fuck me. Um, I didn't rate it very well. All right, so what are we here for? What are we doing today? There will be blood. There will be blood. Let's see. It is going to be your uh, your magnum opus for Paul Thomas Anderson, 2007. Uh, this is at a time where Hollywood and you might say the avant-garde side of film really are getting as close as they come or can get. And uh, you see that in it with there, uh, there Will Be Blood. And for me, There Will Be Blood is will be inextricably linked with no Country for Old Men uh, by the Coen Brothers. You have two blockbuster, two of the best creative minds in Hollywood coming out with uh, their best stuff here. And it also aligning with, with, with what the country wants or with what the nation uh, can handle uh, on its palate in terms of, of the artistic side. So uh, a really kind of joining of an avant-garde, nuanced film with your Hollywood blockbuster box office rating popular movies. No, I think that's a really interesting intro. And I think, um, I, you know, this is probably a good time to mention the fact that we are um, the worst spoilers in the entire podcast universe. So uh, anything from here on out is spoiler, spoiler territory. But go ahead, KY. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, No Country for Old Men. So wasn't that made... The same that came out the same year as this Correct. movie, right? Correct. Yeah, I found an interesting tidbit about some of the behind the scenes of No Country for Old Men and its connection to There Will Be Blood, which we can get into later. One of them, you know, they were going head to head for not that it matters. The Oscar, the best whatever, best yeah. movie, best director, and they were just kind of like the whole night. It was a, a blow for blow, but. All of that is, you know, regardless, doesn't mean anything because they're too, they're just, they're just, together, they're great. I mean, Oscar's so white, it probably is the main reason why it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Am I allowed, I'm not allowed to say this stuff. No, I love that. <laughs> no, I was going back to KY's theory. Am I allowed to make fun of... Well, uh, KY's theory... This is a you know one of those overarching and just those overarching themes is does the embattled artist make a better for, oh, uh, a better art form and to that point this can't be a safe space this needs to be a hostile battlefield here on this site so that we can do well, our design is totally agree okay it's a hostile place I like just making I like making fun of ourselves making fun of the uh, the uh, the politically correct situation that that is uh hollywood right now it is comical i mean you don't even need a host anymore although you can't get through more than about 20 minutes of those things without wanting to kill yourself but the uh award ceremonies are just ridiculous these days that said we all know that dune is going to take all of the oscars yeah from, that might uh, be uh best movie of the century Prediction. Yeah, definitely. Here first. Let's uh, 
but let's not get into that. Um, I am I am fascinated. I had no idea that There Will Be Blood came out the same year as No Country for Old Men. What's on that note? I think this is a good before we get too deep into the asides. I think this is a good opportunity for us to kick off uh, a bit more structured conversation around what we've been watching. So just to summarize, we're talking about There Will Be Blood. We got a fantastic intro from the kid, our Paul Thomas Anderson expert, who will be with us for at least this episode, hopefully more. And uh, I'm pumped to get into it, but we're going to jump into the stuff that we have been discussing again. This is a full spoilers pod, so don't even fuck around with this if you haven't watched anything. Feel free to read the show notes. Is there a sound effect? Spoiler sound effect? Some type of... That seems like a lot of work for our producer, uh, YK. <laughs> Plus, I, th- <laughs> I think it's actually better <laughs> if we do no sound effect and it's just like a sneak attack. Because um, then it's too late. You've already been spoiled. Yeah. I mean, right. So let's just go ahead and say <laughs> that Daniel kills Eli at the end of the movie. In a bowling alley. Smashes so that way his we head got that open. out of the way. Um, he drinks his nose. Smashes it open. <laughs> My oh, no- dude. Oh, I love. Wait, let's let's hold off. We gotta hold off because we're gonna get into it and we're gonna get too deep. I wonder so- if he's gonna drink his milkshake at the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what is happening. So, kid. So what have you been watching? So we do the watching. I, yeah, I haven't been watching much. Uh, Mayor of East Town, I would say. Is it good? Mayor of East Town. It's very good. Kate Winslet is uh, very good. The trailer good. looked intense, and, to say the least. Yes, it, it's not that. It's not too intense. It's just a, it's a detective, you know, who done it. Fully recommend. Yeah. Okay. I'm not not. I'm, I haven't been seeing too much. I haven't been watching too much. But what actually what you have been listening to also is uh, the Zeit catalog, which is great. That's right. That's right. Zytolog. Zytolog. I I got your listen downloads going on loop. So yeah. So now we have uh, three subscribers. Good. That's what we do. (laughs) (laughs) We have. Wow. Thank you for being the third subscriber and our first guest. I was on the kid last night that I have never watched in the forty-eight hours before doing a Zyt recording one of our movies twice. So I've watched plenty of the movies multiple times because I watched them in the past or whatever. But I I pounded that movie two times because I just needed to get more of it. Once alone, once with the wife. Let me just say that the wife version of that, uh, I couldn't play it nearly as loud and nearly as dark of a room. And I have to say it is 10 times more entertaining when it's extraordinarily 100%. loud on surround sound. Partly because of the Radiohead uh, guitar. I, I'm just... Green, um, yeah, Greenwood, 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 uh, yeah, his, oh my God, dude, it is, it adds so much value to that movie. But now we're getting into the, the you guys are totally bypassing the format, Bradford. This is, this is what we do Honestly, every come on. Well, it's just, week. Actually, we don't record every week, but we, we try. <laughs> Thank God KY is, thank God <laughs> KY is the producer and solves all of our problems in the back, on the back office. So, all right, KY, what have you been watching? So let me just jump into what I've been watching. I have a couple carryovers from last time, which I don't think we'll get into all of these. Bradford, I don't know if you started White Lotus yet, but I do want to talk about that at some point. 
Wait, wait. Can we get a quick update? So we thought you had the big C. Turns out you had the whoop. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me just give a quick shout to our listeners. I, yeah, I'm plagued by a highly contagious disease right now. So, I, yeah, basically after we film, uh, recorded that last episode, probably a f- half a week after that, I was like, ooh, actually, I'm not feeling so hot. A couple days later, I was like a little feverish. And I was like, well, this is not good. So I went back to the doctor. I got a blood test. Blood test comes back. And my doctor's like, yeah, you have the whooping cough. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> yeah. The, was, the I'm whooping sorry. cough? The whooping cough? So did a little research. Um, I had a, I thought this was like a uh, prehistoric respiratory disease that we had eradicated centuries ago. It's it's not at all. It's a, it's a modern thing. And um, I mean... Yeah, man. Yeah. Don't give it to the kids. That's the key. Yeah, so That's you, the docs, you, the pediatricians tell you. Like shortly after birth, I guess you get vaxxed whenever that is for the whooping cough. That only lasts 10 years. Then you get Eight a weeks. booster. And then another 10 years from then, you're basically in your late 20s. And yeah, you're not you're not getting your own the TDAP, you know, man. boosted vax, right? That's something your parents take you to the to the doctor oh, to go oh, do. Oh, but I am. <laughs> oh, me? Yeah. Well, well, first off, the kid is, whether he wants to or not. But I, so did I. Dude, you got boosted had, a few yeah, years you ago? you got to get the Tdap, man. Yeah. They, I got boosted. They pop you in the elbow, they pop you in the little wrist, and then you get a little bubble, and they're like, okay, we well, see your bubble, and it, as long as you show them the bubble, then you're good to go. I got no I mean, bubble, dude. No that's bubble not here. what happened to me, tropical. but that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you live in a tropical island like our great hawaiian island they they're like yeah this this one they're like clicking the needle they're very casual about the vaccines they give you they're like yeah this one i recommend this one there's something going on in bora bora we don't really know what it is this is called the yellow pineapple sting and i'm just gonna i'm like yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure pop me <laughs> this one right here this one's very experimental but uh i recommend it <laughs> like, all right so thanks, you need you got bubbles i got no bubbles Does that's it, the problem you get bu- yeah you get a bubble well because we get i i uh you know go to get my like whatever physical or whatever once in a while once a year and, and they're just like hey when was the last time you got the old whooping and and uh t- and tetris vaccine Tetris? Or, is that uh, for tetanus. playing? <laughs> tetanus. <laughs> so you stop playing tetanus Tetris, Tetris so much? It's the Tetris tetanus. Yeah. Um, and uh, Tetris is actually a fantastic game, by the way. I just picked it up recently, but I should get vaccinated. But yeah, wow. it just popped me in the shoulder. You're good to go, man. So anyway, you didn't get that happen, and then you caught it. This is a really good opportunity for us to talk about the importance. Yeah, this is a good PSA. This is a good PSA. We, we <laughs> might even... Uh, partner with uh, the FDA here and the CDC, although there are some political implications there that we won't get into right That's now. That's right. But, also uh, a lot of legal issues with our other sponsors. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, Guys, I am fully vaccinated. I'm fully vaccinated uh, from Groupthink and uh, joint ventures between Big Pharma and our government uh, as far as me too. other vaccines. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm all about that experimental stuff, right? So uh, the next time I go 
to the, get my physical. Me um, too. I'm going to get juiced up with everything known to man, right? Yeah. So, okay. So what What have you actually... All right, we're, we're 20 minutes, thir- an hour and a half in. We've gotten one television show <laughs> and a lot of vaccines. Okay. Tell me what so White Lotus, I'm assuming, will cover in the future because I don't think you have watched it yet. Still, still watching Game of Thrones on season three oh. now, but... Again, this is the most, this is the least interesting thing in my entire life mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. which is not to say anything bad about Game of Thrones. Your life is just very interesting. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I respect that. Uh, so, uh, Bradford, a, a while ago, we were talking about the Formula One Drive to Survive show on Netflix. Finally finished season three. Uh-huh. And I know you had stopped, I think, a while ago, but I would highly recommend finishing it out yeah because the last i think two to three episodes of season three were some probably some of the best of the entire three season series and it just got approved for a fourth season so hmm. only getting better from there hey has the kid watched drive to survive i, I have seen a few of the first uh, the first few episodes few. um that's great to hear about that trend line also, I've never seen Game of Thrones saving it for a rainy day. Oh, dude! Wow. So you're the so you're the one. Okay, you're the only other one. Out Both there. of you, you're <laughs> the only two people that I know that haven't watched that. I've got a few more quick ones. Last time I mentioned I had started Chinatown. Uh, now I want to mention that I finished it, and the extrapolation was pretty accurate. That was a fucking hmm. wild movie. I haven't even internalized it yet. I think it's one of those movies where I need to watch it like three times to really get deep into everything. Yeah. China, definitely definitely watch Chinatown. Chinatown. Um, Fantastic movie. Did you, you streamed it on Netflix, that, right? Bad boy. Yeah. Cool. Uh, cool. And then I'm going to just call this one out. This is actually a podcast episode. I haven't actually listened to it, but I'm going to recommend it anyway. It's the new uh, Sam Harris episode. There's a four-hour special with Balaji. I don't know if you follow this guy, Balaji, but they discuss a bunch of things related to the civilizational challenges that we face today. And the fact that Sam Harris talked to somebody for four hours or four hours that we know of, which it was probably like a six-hour recording, that's already five banger in my book. So I'm going to be listening to that. And then the last one is I just started flagging a bunch of shows on Netflix that follow that same dramatic history documentary type of format, similar to Rise of Empires, Ottoman Empire. So I flagged six different shows that span a lot of different historical topics. But um, The Last Czars is the one that I'll be watching next. Well, a lot of feelings on the last stars, so excited to hear how that goes. Um, you've been just crushing the rest of us on your on what you've been watching. I have been watching almost nothing. I did recently take a couple Delta flights, however, and as we know, Delta flights are one of the best ways to consume movies. Great selection. We are, to be clear, not sponsored by Delta, although we would love to be sponsored by Delta. I think the first one I watched was um, Minari. Uh, 
which, uh, as we've discussed, is a little too close to home for KY, even though I've been trying to have us watch it on the pod. So I think I'm still open to that, KY, if you are. A24 special. Um, You are down? Last time you literally gave me a hard no, so I'm feeling a little bit left out now. (laughs) But that's okay. So watch Minari. I actually think it's ridiculously comparable to There Will Be Blood in terms of core themes theme of like family versus your own personal dream uh, especially from like a male a very male point point of view in terms of like trying like how, how you want to make an impact on the space around you and the world around you and also the your relationship with the earth and with the state in terms of uh, what personal property means um, in terms of your relationship with the state and your community but also what you're trying to get, like uh, what you need to get out of uh, the earth and the struggle and the success that you have as you're with your relationship with the earth. Obviously there's the immigrant portion of it, but honestly I think that's more relevant to there will be blood time frame. Long story short, really, really, really good uh, movie. I wouldn't say it's quite as good as I thought it could have been, but I, I certainly am going to give it a, a recommended watch. It is, the ending of it, again, we we're just completely all about spoilers here. And I'm actually going to try not to, not because of our listeners, but because I know you haven't watched a KY. Has the kid watched Minari? I, ha- I have not. Okay. Well, I'm not going to fully spoil it, but the ending, I think then I'm usually into movies that end on like a bit of an ambiguous note, if it makes sense in a family drama or something that that's like you're trying to figure out, like it's all about building to a point in which... Um, some of the core characters need to make a key decision and then you can end without necessarily having made that decision. And that's part of the point of the movie. Right. But in terms of this movie, it ended with like the ending was complete shit. Like it it didn't even give you that feel of not knowing what the decision was. Um, it almost felt like they just like ran out of like runway and they just fucking ended the movie. So huge, uh, very against the ending. Uh, the movie itself was fantastic though. So that's that. We should come back to that. Still would love to make that actually a feature on the Zeit. In terms of the other thing I watched, I watched uh, Silent Place 2. I was on my way home. Is, Is that, that a, silent? A, quiet, a quiet place? Uh, yeah. A quiet place, John too. Um, <laughs> the first one, if you've watched A Quiet Place, is legitimately scary. I mean, it's like a horror movie, especially in the beginning until you see the monster. Like, very scary. The second one, you know what the monster looks like. Not scary at all. But it is a total jumper. And so, like, I'm next to, in the airplane, this huge, like, foot, like guy who looks like he's been playing football, like, his entire life. Like, he's the kind of guy who's, like, spilling over into your seat, but with, like, muscle, not with fat. Oh, which is the typical situation. I love one. I love yeah. He was... Uh, yeah. Well, he, but he was really nice. He kept being like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, it's okay. Don't hurt me. And... But I was watching like a quiet place too, and I kept going. It's like there's so many jump scares, and I would try so hard because like, you try and predict the jump scares. So I'd like take one of my ear, you know, earbuds out, and like, and then it would go, and they would convince you that it's not going to happen. And then, like, of course, the monster jumps out. And I kept going, ah! <laughs> and the guy kept being like, ah! <laughs> it happened three times in a row until I had to like just turn it off because i was like this guy thinks i'm the biggest (laughs) pussy in the entire world (laughs) 
but it's actually it was a super entertaining movie. So no offense, uh, also no recommended. <laughs> but you know, offense. Well, pussies are fine, but in my situation, I was being. Anyway, that's what I've been watching. Delta delivers once again. Okay, anything else? Let's uh, let's hop into the feature. Honestly, I'm not even quite sure where we should jump in, which is why I think we have our expert guest yeah. here, maybe to perhaps throw us in there. But yes. what a movie! Let's let's uh, unless KY, you had something you wanted to start off with. I would love it if maybe the kid walked us in to the theory, the beauty, and the wonder that it is there will be blood. Well, so why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? I'm going right, to read. Right. So I'm going to read the MDIP because I think the Wikipedia stuff is just too dense, and then. Uh, all right yeah so let's jump into our feature there will be blood with the mdib a story of family religion hatred oil and madness focusing on a turn-of-the-century prospector in the early days of the business uh so the kid why don't you kick us off yes guys thanks again for having me on uh you guys have a great rapport on this show and so if it doesn't go well today, people are going to just obviously say that it was my fault. So <laughs> I have to kind of, to defend against that, I'm going to try to get y'all to fight and argue. And then that way I can say no. Just, just bring up the Mandalorian and we'll start fighting. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. No, don't, please. God. So There Will Be Blood is uh, what probably one of my, it's, it's up there top three or four and this last watch was I learned another a lot from it um, and so I have three themes I can go through with y'all and I have a few questions at the end of the, each one of those th- themes to kind of have a takeaway where the rubber hits the road uh, from film theory and where we can kind of use uh, some of the stuff that we're talking about in our day-to-day lives in case we come up upon these uh, circumstances so I want to stay away from a little bit of the pen and ink philosophy, and hopefully y'all come around uh, to some pretty cool takeaways that you can learn from this movie. So the first, the what, the what philosophy? Uh, pen and ink. So pen and uh, ink. Got it. Got yes. it. I thought you said the pen. Eyebrow. Um, yeah. Because, got it. Got it. Yeah, like we said, this is uh, this movie is going to come this at a crossroads. This is a lowbrow podcast. Well, no. <laughs> oh. Well, it's, oh no, yeah, what you said. It's a lowbrow podcast. <laughs> But uh, there will be blood. It's coming again. It's got that. It's that cross section of your lower brow Hollywood and your up and your higher brow uh, avant garde. Um, so definitely works on both those levels. So the first section or theme will be. It's called. That's fine. Uh, if you heard, if you watch this movie, they say that's fine all the time, and it's just a great uh, phrase because it's basically. A way of saying, yeah, I received your message and I've received your your offer or your whatever. And in the absence of any other information, I'll accept it. But uh, if not, we'll keep going. So that's kind of your more transactional. Um, that's fine. And it also speaks to the mise-en-scene of There Will Be Blood and PTA in general in that you can watch this movie. It's such a passive movie because the aesthetics are so beautiful. Each shot is a painting. And so you don't have to really care about 
the struggling, the, um, the details of these transactions and how they go down, etc. And you can just be so floored and amazed and, and it's great in that sense. It's very passive watching if you wanted to be, which is kind of a different than, sorry, than like your uh, Christopher Nolan movies, which is you gotta find it, you gotta follow the dialogue and there's a lot of narrative. And so that's uh, two great directors, different structures well and i i just wanted to add no no i just wanted to add that the, <clears throat> we we talked about him briefly i think in the magnolia episode if it didn't get cut is robert elswit the cinematographer who follows paul thomas anderson quite a bit is responsible for this as well as uh boogie nights magnolia and i think quite a few i mean quite a few of the other films and, and not just paul thomas anderson's but holy shit i i just wanted to reiterate what you said there i don't want to take us too far off or 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 throw you off uh the kid but i wanted to say that he deserves a big um a big uh shout out uh here because i think this movie compared to for example having just watched magnolia and then also just watched boogie nights before that all of which have truly remarkable cinematography and they're they're completely different in the way they do that and the way you described a lot of the frames in there will be blood as paintings is so so accurate and his range is just nuts i think he deserves a great deal of uh the the uh credit here in just to, to uh to pda reiterate that point uh, i the first time i watched this movie a while back i was maybe 60 milligrams deep in a west coast edible and i actually didn't <laughs> understand i wasn't even paying attention to the plot or the dialogue it was just a complete sensory experience with like you said the it was these just moving paintings and the most incredible uh, <laughs> score Who, whoever composed that score is just a fucking genius greenwood it was greenwood wasn't it? that's that's johnny greenwood yeah but wasn't there uh who who did this stuff like in the middle of the movie with just like the purely instrumental work so that's all johnny greenwood except there's a few so when they bless the oil rig that is a uh, like a 17th century i want to say flemish composer you can look it up it's a great song i love the you know it's an old it's a classical song but I, that's that part is the blessing of the rig is a separate non-johnny greenwood track and then i want to say that there's one more track that's not johnny greenwood but everything else in that movie is your uh is johnny greenwood that's awesome I, yeah so and i could talk about that too um but yeah, the master, the master is going to be the um, is going to be a lot like this one, and separate. This one benefits from those landscapes. The landscapes really allow it to have that aesthetic of the paintings. Just a th the three hills with the uh, with the almost horror horror music. Uh, it's such a powerful thing. It's like the it's like the three crosses. I always <laughs> can't stop thinking of the you know the three crosses. Calgary, Jesus, Calgary. the one, and then it's Calgary. yeah, exactly. Anyway, sorry, I'm throwing you. I promise I wouldn't throw you so off. So that's the that's uh that's the that's fine where we talk about the um the transactional stuff. Um, corporate judo. That'll be fine. Uh, yeah, exactly. That'll be fine. The bread, exactly. Se second section is you're going to be more capital. I love this theory, and I'll just preface by saying I haven't seen the Wikipedia. I haven't read any formal other theories on this movie this is just my hot takes you might say so i know you guys wanted to you guys 
talk about the capitalist aspects of it, and we can talk about that. I wanted to talk about the uh, the aspect or the perspective of Daniel Plainview as disruptive technology and or your startup. Um, and so he practices corporate judo throughout, and I can give you an example of that. And at the end of the movie, he's the top dog, and how does he handle his own uh, threat of startup? And so we see this capital paranoia of, um, of Daniel Plainview, and that's kind of how it stands. I love that. I've talked tied to Jerry Garcia and the Watts Towers of LA, which are pretty ugly. And then the third one we can talk about is, Bradford kind of alluded to it, uh, the working man, Daniel and HW. And this is the idea of the main question here. Does Daniel Plainview look at HW as a prop or does he look at HW as a son? Does he love him or does he use him uh, to further his uh, megalomaniac uh, goals. And so we can talk about that as well. Wow. Easily the biggest question that I got stuck with the entire movie. Oh, yes, I, I yes. Think I, if, if I could just just recommend that we jump into number two, mm-hmm. I, I think I think we should spend quite a bit of time on number three. The mm-hmm. um, yeah. That's just that's just my hot take. I think yeah. I think number two is like where a lot of the meat of the conversation comes yeah. in, and I actually think we're going to largely agree on a lot of stuff. But it's it's I think one of the most it's 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 the most obvious you know sec- second level allegory is is like what is the what it, you know who can we use as representatives of the type of folks who built America and continue to build America and the like destructive right and creative powers working in tandem uh, and like what that does to like society and what, what layers of society you need. I would love to hear y'all's thoughts. I, I am still like a broken man thinking about your third question there. Um, I haven't, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Okay, so what, what do you guys think? Yeah, let's jump in it too. Uh, I'll start off by saying Johnny Greenwood. So he's in a cave. He's in a cave, Daniel Plainview, and he starts from a cave. He starts from nothing. And by the end of it, we see that mansion in looks like the Hollywood Hills. And so he gets from there to there. He breaks his leg in the cave. And it cuts to him back at the camp. And that's its own movie right there. You know, he's got a broken leg and he's literally dragged himself out of a mine. Probably, you know, who knows, 10 miles or so back to camp for a little bit of coal is what he stamps out. Okay, I bring that up because that is what vindicates him to act so ruthlessly when he does succeed. He's the one who puts his neck out. He's the one that has been vindicated. He knows this blood and sweat that he's put into it in order to make it this far. Uh, So much like your startups in Silicon Valley, which y'all have much uh, experience with, is Y'all are like sea turtles going out into the ocean and only one out of the thousand make it. So when you do make it, you are very much vindicated and that can inflate an ego. He's kind of like the uh, Jeff Bezos of his day, in my opinion. And like the type of corporate (laughs) judo that you had referred to, I think is very Amazonian in the way that uh, there are a lot of things that haven't been 
done in a particular way that I think are genius, but also ruthless and aggressive. And I think if you look at where Bezos is now, he had this 30-year grand plan to essentially amass enough wealth by standing on top of other people to, uh, I guess, eventually explore the outer rims of space as his uh, ultimate goal. But I think the way that he got there was just like a ruthless expose on like, how can you essentially sacrifice everything about your own humanity to give yourself the opportunity to end up on this peak, this unattainable peak that essentially cements him as like, arguably mm. the most one of the most prolific successful business people in the world in like tech history um but like at what cost and i think there's a lot of interesting things about this uh situation in his like personal life where that kind of reminded me of essentially what you were referring to earlier well i think there's two different we, we need to pull apart the like the the story of daniel in the movie uh, played by Daniel Day-Lewis, by the way, who we haven't mentioned yet, but what a wonderful, wonderful guy. Does such a good job with Daniel Plainview. But but I was going to say, I actually think I would pull out, I, one thing I, that I actually have an issue with, with a lot of people who bring up uh, this this film's commentary on capitalism is that they talk about it being a bad thing. I think this movie is like a resounding, positive reinforcement of what, the right type of capitalism is. Let me let me explain a little bit. You, uh, the kid brought this up briefly about the concept of destructive forces of creation. And one thing that you'll find as an archetype throughout all stories, uh, or not all stories, but it is a core archetype throughout all cultures in their stories, which is this concept of destruction and creation uh, intertwined with each other. And I would say that the story of Daniel Plainview is one of the most positive possible versions of that story, uh, not from a personal perspective, but from a cultural one. Let me explain what I mean. Yes, there is like unbridled capitalism in, in some sense, in the sense that Daniel Playview himself can can exploit the earth and can exploit some of the folks around him uh, in order to get what he wants. Um, but one thing you'll notice that no one ever questions in the movie is the concept of personal land ownership. So there's there's this uh, overarching concept of a very solid and responsible state throughout this entire movie that I don't think anyone really talks about too too uh, too effectively. And at least in the reviews that I've read, everyone talks about being oh capitalism gone crazy. No, these these oilmen have to convince people who own the land to buy the land. And that's one thing that uh, separates, I think, for example, the United States of America from, uh, you know, petrol states or, or other states that have struggled with this concept of exploiting the land, which turns them into like truly and fundamentally corrupt institutions. You can point to a million in sub-Saharan Africa. There's a bunch in Latin America. The U.S. has at times, before it was the United States of America, been a version of this. But what I'm getting at is that I think this is a fantastic, positive view of what capitalism can be in the sense of allowing individuals who are driven 
almost to the point of madness to extract wealth for everyone's good from the earth, but who are also limited by some key things uh, that the state has power over, such as personal land ownership, um, such that everyone can benefit. Because anyone you that Daniel Plainview, other than people literally right next to him, uh, that are involved uh, with him in the movie benefit ultimately from from what he does. Anyway, I just did my long spiel on that, but I, I feel very yeah. I would love to hear if you guys agree I, with my. I take. agree. I agree with Bradford in that capitalism kind of comes out with a very good record if you pay attention to some of well, if you pay attention to the the fate of Little Boston. He brings the church. He brings the education. Now, whether or not that's it's a little bit of corporate puffery, which will is striking in today's uh, sporadic and fragile society that needs this kind of social puffery from its corporate uh, corporate titans. But he does bring uh, water. He says, you know, we're going to bring water to this town. We're going to bring education to this town. And I love uh, the question from Paul, uh, from, uh, Paul Dano, who also has great performance. Uh, will, will the road lead to the church? Uh, that'll be the first place it leads to. And right. that's, and, it does, <laughs> and if you will pay attention a few, it doesn't even get mentioned, but he, Daniel Plainfield takes a long walk up an un, unpaved and unmarked road, non-road, you should say, to the church. So there's little items about that, the the dialogue that um, is really are, are really great. But the corporate judo, just to, Kind of give a little definition corporate judo is what smaller firms they take advantage of their size and the their smaller size and flexibility uh, their ability to adapt to a more dynamic environment and they use that to prosper over a larger more behemoth a slower titan um of uh, the incumbent you might say and so standard an oil in this case yeah standard oil and also you could argue union oil as well but an example a great example of this is um the prospecting that he does in the beginning with his son uh the quail hunting that they're literally in a couple tents looking and researching the land that only he would do this is a this is something that a large oil titan and even acquiring that land was done only in a way that a smaller mom and pop family business could do because that's how they that's how they convinced people uh, to go along with what they were doing. So, um, yeah, corporate judo. And I, I love at the end when he is the incumbent here and now his own son is the smaller firm. And I will bring up the Jerry Garcia quote in the Watts Towers at this point because it's important. Um, and the takeaway for me here was the Watts Towers are these basically ugly structures from this artist in Southern California. LA County wanted to destroy them for the longest time, but they could never get the waivers to do it. And so instead they made it a state park. And Jerry Garcia on an acid trip was there with the rest of the Grateful Dead. And he looked at it and he said, this is the, this is the culmination of a man's life work and you can never bring it down. And that scared Jerry. In fact, he didn't like that. He didn't like something to build something that's so strong you can never bring it down instead he wanted something that was fun and in the moment and so if you're an incumbent when you guys you guys are in the industry when you guys become the ceos of these large companies 
understanding that the fate of that company is sealed. It's going to go down at some point. So the all you can do is is to keep your standards high, uh, keep your, you know, the fate of that company is beyond your control more or less. Uh, it is the the people aspect of it that is definitely uh, the important part of it. So I I generally agree with both of your takes on, I guess the utilitarian output of these capitalistic endeavors, but. I guess like the question I have is how do you divorce that from like the personal sacrifice that somebody in that position is generally asked to make in order to build an empire like this to or in more like modern terms to climb up a corporate ladder. I think the ability for somebody to completely throw themselves into like a pursuit or an ambition similar to achieving this type of success typically means that it comes with your inability to form deeper connections, like real genuine connections with people that uh, are around you that you maybe should care about. And, you know, taking that a step further, I guess, what is like the ultimate price of being put in that position where you're essentially drunk with power and blinded by well, I, I just, sorry, I'm just really, I can't get over it. So the bigger, I, 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 so I actually would, tell me if you agree. I think one of the bigger, in my opinion, the bigger question is, is everyone who does the first blazing of the trail uh, in terms of like to, to such a creatively destructive way as <clears throat> Daniel Plainfield? Sorry, is it Plainview or Plainfield? View. Okay, Plainview. That's what I thought. Plainview does is, um, do you have to have that level of personal, either like such profound, such obsessive adherence to a certain set of principles, which may or may, or may not align with the social norms of your area? Or is that just like some people, you know, who fall into that position have that thing? Because uh, let me let me explain what I'm saying. There's this fantastic study that you guys have probably read about that um, a couple of college professors did of the mafia in uh, New York City and North Jersey. And um, uh, this is kind of a weird example of that, but just bear with me. Where if you look at the Dons, the people who, who lead the mafia families um, uh, who like had to force break their way into like the next, the higher levels of, of American class uh, station right for, because they were from like poor working class Italian families and crime was the way they did that everyone who's in the second third generation from them are, are like fallen um, they're not in ma the mafia they're all like lawyers and doctors went to good colleges or whatever and the same thing you can see in this example with their blood and what I'm trying to get at is like in order to do that breakthrough whether it's like personally bringing your family to the next level layer and like our you know uh, informal class system or uh, or like doing something like breaking the frontier down from being something wild into something controlled do you have to have the thing that you were describing ky like that level of like personal inhibition or is that just like sometimes an interesting story that we like to like talk about yeah it's an interesting question and so i i haven't read that research but i guess maybe like to to respond with another question like what are 
who are this current modern day CEOs today or founders or influential business people that you view as not having made those types of sacrifices to create that type of impact and success? Like I, I, the first one I thought I was like, maybe Tim Cook, but then I was like, well, he sort of knowingly employed children, uh, child labor in his supply chain. So that's not. <laughs> yeah, but that's not anything that anyone, <laughs> anyone would employ child labor. Um, no, but. HW is child labor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Standard and standard. Uh, well, tells, standard tells him to make sure he lawyers up. I guess what I'm getting at is that it seems, I don't know, maybe, maybe nobody, maybe the answer is nobody. And that's the whole point. But my point is my, what I'm asking is my sense is that folks who are typically in that position are just falling into those sorts of decisions. What did the kids say? It was your sea turtles going out into the ocean. And if you succeed, you have this like typically you probably made a lot of the same exact decisions that anybody else, any of the other sea turtles would have made. You just happen to be in the right current or whatever. And my sense is that's actually a little bit more realistic than the Daniel Plainview situation where, um, yes, he might've been in the right current, but it, it seems like this movie was trying to frame him as like an especially vicious person who like brought himself uh, to a point of success for Daniel, I don't. I don't think he changed at all. Yeah, I, I, I think once he got his first, again that vindication when you, you become successful from nothing, you're just like, I know what is needed to succeed. At least I think I do. And this kind of gets to the blood aspect of there will be blood and being an incumbent is like, I know that I I was out for blood against Standard Oil, and that's the that's for I perceived the only way I, I made it to where I made it. And so I know that when I'm in standard oils position, somebody's out for my blood. And so I got to have this paranoia uh, as well as being able to keep that or, or maintain a level head, understanding that that paranoia creeps in. Yeah. And I guess there are probably all of the other people that you don't know about or have heard about that have followed a similar level of just absolute ruthlessness to achieve that type of success that don't have get successful outcomes right right honestly honestly i'm surprised ky of all the movies we have reviewed this one seems to have the biggest reputation of of being like about brutalist capitalism and i actually think it's probably one of the most positive views of what capitalism is in terms of the individual's relationship with the state and how that can impact society's than like say a lot of the Marvel comic <laughs> movies that we reviewed, which sounds stupid, <laughs> yeah. but it's fucking true. And let me just throw, let me ask you guys something. Sorry, let me just ask you guys something. The what I, the way I frame that is Daniel Plainview ultimately is able to succeed because he has a positive relationship with the state uh, in terms of like again personal land development what are your rights not your rights how do you have to convince other people to work with you within within certain rules right and there's other places where rules don't exist eli sunday is the counter example where the spiritual realm is completely lawless and in this case becomes in my opinion totally and like totally and completely corrupt in a way that makes plain views 
you know, work seem in some ways like actually quite, you know, structured. That's a great interpretation. I, I, I definitely think as a fraudulent, as a fraud pastor, uh, is he's like the enemy. He's like the bad guy. But uh, I guess to take a more modern take on like the fraudulent pastor, don't you think that the structures of late Western capitalism today are set up in a way that's uh, allow for, I don't know if it's fr- if fraudulent is the word, but maybe like amoral uh, or opportunistic pastors to enrich themselves by extracting value out of the mechanisms that allow for a lot of money to flow through religious entities? Because... No, but that's the whole point. I, I honestly think, I, I legitimately think w- what's fascinating about this is that Plainview is is legitimately adding a, a service. Like, he, he's creating value by, and I would love to hear also you guys' interpretation of his relationship with the earth, because I think that's, like, so much of, like, what it means to build a society is how do you, what is your relation, what is a society's relationship with the earth and the things that it produces, right? And like who is able to to exploit those things and who is not, et cetera, et cetera. But my point is that whether or not it's today's capitalism or 1904, right? The One of the key tenets of the United States is that you, we don't give two shits what you preach in church and it's okay. And part of that is, the problem it's i mean whether or not that's a problem actually we shouldn't you know that's not what i'm trying to say is that but the fact that they can make whatever bullshit up they want right and that the state doesn't have a place in that in this case actually shows that it's a worse thing but that makes sense bradford i just don't think that in this movie uh there's that much money being sucked into the church of the seventh or whatever revelation so i i don't know that it's too applicable. I definitely think it's applicable with like Scientology and a lot of blah, 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 a lot of things today. But uh, there's other, yeah. Beyond the scope of this film, I don't. I agree with you, but I don't see that being. But would you would you say? I think in a different scenario, had Eli made smarter, if he had better business judgment, that could have been a different outcome with the amount of money that flowed into that church, and therefore other things they could do on top of that. But I guess like I, Brad, I'm ultimately agreeing with you, but making the point that they're uh, both entities are essentially using the same system to achieve very different outcomes. And even I guess like the modern day example, aside from just Scientology, is just like very main mainstream Christianity. Which I guess what the the other point I was trying to make is that I think there is an issue with the way that they utilize the system in place today by essentially shielding themselves behind tax-exempt legal entities that allow them to extract a lot of, uh, like a ton of value from essentially unknowing religious people who don't necessarily understand that they're being completely duped. Not to make this like a religious argument but i just i think that's one of the things that bothers me a lot about like the balance between capitalism the rise of secularism plus um the way that a a lot of like the mainstream religion in the u.s in particular has maintained their ability 
to enrich themselves? Uh, just a quick fun fact. So he buys the property for $5,000, and then Standard Oil says they'll buy it for him for a million. So that was $25 million in today's book. So they, um, so that's pretty cool. A lot, a lot of Scarroll to bring it back to the uh, Sopranos. North Jersey. Yeah. Scott roll. Big roll. That's a fat roll. A lot of breakfast cool. casserole. All right. What, so, you want to talk about being a father and a working father? I am still so lost on this one. Hit us with we. Yeah, I think. I mean, this is one of the most nuanced relationships, and it's done so gently and artistically that it really gives it. It's my favorite kind of thread in the in the movie, and. <clears throat> That is, the question is, does he love H.W.? What are, you know, what are the, what's the evidence for it? What is the evidence against it? And we can tie it to what does it mean to be a working man? He, and I'll just bring up some, uh, some cool stuff that happens. So a lot of times throughout the movie, in the beginning, he enjoys teaching his son the ways of oil. Uh, H.W. asks him, are we gonna? Are we gonna? What are we gonna pay the the Sunday family? He says we're not gonna pay them oil prices. We're gonna pay them quail prices, and so that's almost like a you know it's very animalistic teaching a, a, a cub how to hunt or keep teaching um, whatever the ways of nature. And another great example of this kind of fatherly, um, ultimately love because he's trying to make him successful and showing him. Uh, the ways of the world is he wants throughout the the beginning of the film he has he purposely wants HW with him with inside the transactions he wants to see have HW witness what it means to be a serious man a businessman and the the type of um, kind of stern attitude that it takes to be successful so I'll just kind of open it up there. That's kind of that's a that's definitely in the in the ring for he loves HW. Yeah, I mean, hundred percent. That would be the first thing. They do such a good job making you waffle throughout the movie because <clears throat> when his business partner in the very beginning dies in the in the bottom of the well, first thing I think is this guy is, is like a piece of shit and he's like I don't even know why he's taking care of this child in the suitcase or whatever. He just he he's covered in oil, which looks like blood. So he looks as if he's been murdered, which is of course not an accident. I imagine the directing. And he's taking care of this this bastard now, and and you think he's clearly going to take care of him. And then you know, thirty minutes later, he's doing exactly what you said. He's teaching him about the the trade. Yeah, and then of course by the end, once again, uh, I think one of the most powerful things here. I feel like you're gonna, I might be stealing your thunder, but. The very end when HW says he's starting his own company in Mexico, when he cuts back to like the two or three scenes of Daniel pushing him and treating him essentially like a tool, uh, there's two different ones that are such powerful. Very it's almost violent. like an afterthought. Yeah. Where he's like, you clearly see suddenly for the, you're like, oh, are these the things that happened outside of the original cut of what I saw in the first part of the movie? You know, you see just... It's almost HW's perspective uh, suddenly of being like, wow, like he, 
all those things I thought about him trying to teach me were ultimately him using me. And but I still don't know the answer. But I, I'm just I'm just more supporting your take here, which is that it goes back and forth. I think throughout the movie. Yeah. So I guess I'll jump in here. I think it's actually both. And I think at the end of the day, Daniel Plainview has this uncontrollable urge. And maybe you could argue how uncontrollable that really is to be a father figure to H.W. And like a lot of the stuff that you mentioned about um, him being kind of like that tribal mechanism of passing on knowledge, I think was really interesting. But the complex part is, I think no matter how much he genuinely might love H.W., it's never going to be as much as he loves power. And I think those two things come into conflict and he kind of wrestles with both of those to varying degrees at varying times throughout his life. But based on like the final scenes, I think we, at least my takeaway was that it ultimately doesn't matter because we're talking about Daniel fucking Plainview here. The guy is going to do anything it takes to reach the top to make sure that no competitor gets near anything that he's built or starts to compete with any of his business interests, no matter if that's his child or some random other company. And so he is Daniel and he's going to look out for Daniel as like his number one. Right. That's, that's a great way of putting it in the priorities. Yes, I concur that his fathering of HW at the end of the day and quite possibly throughout is second to his desire to quote, make enough money, maybe not direct quote, but make enough money that he can get away from the people that he thinks So I think you're spot on with that kind of, that net bottom line aspect of it. Um, one, it's, it's important as that, I know the waffling was a great term. One of the parts of that waffling is when his, his little Boston Derek strikes oil this is the this is it you know this is game day right and how we look at how he reacts in that in that moment when it's game day says a lot about where he is at that time and so here's what happens first of all the Johnny Greenwood score here is a lot of percussion a lot of symbols very much it reminds me of the sympathy for the devil intro from Rolling Stone where there's that like African music and just to tie this to one of the themes of the id, the super, or I know you guys brought up the id, the uh, ego, and the super ego. Also, where's the super id? I feel like there's <laughs> no, but the um, <laughs> but the the id is super enough. Maybe maybe that's the case. But and Daniel, in this time, HW gets blown off the Derek. It's when he goes deaf. Daniel sprints for. Uh, the baby and he gets him he puts him down on the table and he tells him i'll come back for you and that starts his expertise his level of knowledge which is really through the roof i love at that time it's like dusk it's still light out and then dusk and then they begin the long painstaking um of getting the oil out of the well so you see it be he in that gut id i would say he reaches for hw but as a man, and I know, and you know, as a man, you go out and you work long nights, and you know that your children 
are going to be okay. And you kind of put them out of sight, out of mind. I'm speaking for myself, but that allows me to work hard. There's this compartmentalization that is required to be in business and to be a success or not successful, but to work and to earn the wage uh, in order to feed the child. So there's, a, I think it does a great job. And I'll just finish up by saying that long take, it, it cuts away and it comes back. He's still covered in oil and they're doing the dynamite stick, which was the, uh, which was the, the bottleneck there is they had to wait for the dynamite to get in. And there's, that's why there's that close up shot of the dynamite, them opening the crate because that was the holdup and he's still covered in. It looks like it's midday. So he's been out there for 20 hours is the, is the takeaway. He hasn't gone back. And he hasn't moved. Exactly. Can we just pause? There's like two things that are fantastic about what you just brought up. One is like the moment where he's hands on knees, staring at the, the oil that's on the well, that's on fire covered once again in the black blood of the earth, just looking like, a fucking demon staring at the fire and his new business partner whose name escapes me in the movie Fletcher Hamilton Fletcher Hamilton goes is HW okay and he goes no he's not he's not all right at all and then this is after he said what are you looking so dour about there's an ocean of oil underneath us and only I can get at it and it's like and you're just like he's fully embodied the the evil of self of like of greed of rapacity uh anyway i just man god that's but cut cut to him and this um cut to him in this almost church stained glass window scene of him holding hw and hw is uh moaning trying to figure out that he has lost his his hearing and so there's that and you have to, and you have to balance that in there. Still covered in oil. As, as Walt Whitman said, you know, which I think, honestly, are, he's in my opinion the greatest poet ever from the United States of America. Uh, he said, you know, do I contradict myself? Then I contradict myself. I contain multitudes, and I think that's one of the best. You know, I, I think that's probably true of people in general. But I, 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 I love that as a take on what it means to be an American and your relationship with yourself, your family, your faith, your land, the land. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I think it's okay if he contradicts himself. That's what's, that's what's fascinating about it. Okay. Why do you want to lead us off? Yeah, I'm just going to, uh, so I wanted to throw in, um, an interesting fact. I found out about the behind the scenes here. So, um, apparently, PTA was shooting this movie in Marfa, Texas, and the Cone brothers were shooting No Country for Old Men, I think right next door uh, at the exact same time. And so in the scene where there's that huge billowing fire that we were just talking about in this movie, apparently because of like the pyrotechnic system they used for that oil scene, there was like a huge cloud of smoke that drifted across the city and it started to pollute the <laughs> Cohen brothers like shooting. And so they had to stop shooting for that entire day. And wow. so there was like a lot of like actual 
uh, in-flight conflict between the two movies. And then obviously, like a year later, the conflict would come to fruition. Unfortunately, but also... I mean, unfortunately for us in this case, uh, No Country for Old Men won the Oscar, but I think they're both phenomenal movies that probably should have been released in separate years so they can both win the Oscar. That's crazy, and I did not know that. And uh, to my own horn for the inextricability of the two films. All right, <clears throat> KY, back to you. Well, that's it. That's my <laughs> that's my closing thought. Well, no, but. Don't you want to give us your rating, or do you, or do you want to hold off? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So sorry. I, <laughs> the part I always forget about the rating. Honestly, yeah. Who cares what the your rating is? The people listen for Bradford's rating, as we all know. Yeah, because you go first, okay. and then I just <laughs> latch on to yours. <laughs> okay. So, entertainment value. This was a tough one for me. So yeah, my entertainment value, I am going to give this a 3.5. Because after my first watch, where it was more of a sensory experience, I think the intensity here is not something that I... It's Actually, this is kind of interesting because I feel like it's almost like reading a book for me, right? I don't necessarily look forward to reading books, but when I am in the process of reading... It's the greatest thing in the world. And that's how I feel about the entertainment value here. And the historical import, I think, is a 4.5 for obvious reasons. Okay. We'll leave the kid to last. I think that's an interesting take. I'm going to go ahead and add a couple point fives to that. I think, for me, I think your your description of what it feels like to read a book wanting to read a book versus like actually being in the heart of it is compelling. I think a lot of our listeners are going to appreciate that. But I do think that the the power, I mean, this is easily a four entertainment value for me. I mean, super compelling characters. The beauty of the shots are is insane. That paired with the score is insane. I mean, I again, I can't reiterate, I have not ever watched one of our movies that we featured twice in 48 hours purely because I just fucking wanted to. It was, you know, such a trip. And I will say that watching it very loud in the dark on a big screen is something I could do every night. I mean, it's just that beautiful, beautiful of a, of a movie. So easily a four. It's really hard to get to a five on that with me unless it's Pacific Rim. Just kidding. Not kidding. But not kidding. Uh, and then also, can, I, it's can a I, five banger. Wow. Sorry, wow. can I just, I just point like I got uh, Oh god. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, can I just point out on your entertainment value? I think it's really commendable that I, I want to point out the one eighty you did from just a couple weeks back where you were binging F Boy <laughs> Island and now you're watching There Will Be Blood two times in a row. Let's not talk about F-Boy Island again in front of our guests. There's no guarantee that the kid knows about F-Boy Island, so let's not bring that up in front of him, please. So, And then, well, I just, I just feel like you already know what I'm going to say, but it's, a, I mean, easily a five-banger on historical, historical import. I think I don't even need, I don't need to say anything. It's a five, four or five. One of the highest ratings we've ever given. Nice. Top movie, top five. All right, The Kid. So, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I just got to say, on the entertainment value, this is all I, you know, this is kind of all I care about. 
this movies like this this is like my it's kind of like my standard for again all, all of what we've just talked about as far as the entertainment so to be fair there are a couple lulls and I just just to be fair I don't enjoy the Henry Plainview 25 minutes I think it's a time suck and I Agreed. think that the I just think that nothing is lost if that's brought out there and then on the uh, the historical import side to me 2007 it's been all downhill from there I think Netflix you guys talked about this one thing is the, the net good of giving uh, we like to see the gatekeepers like Harvey Weinstein out the door and you hope that that helps I just think that the throwing the baby out with the bathwater with Netflix and some of these streaming services because you go into it with this idea of the money and the money is so prevalent there and you're just like oh I'm so blatantly engaging in this capitalistic ritual that is streaming that I think that there's a little bit something lost from a classic Hollywood golden age of going to the movie theater and enjoying it in the film or in the theater so uh for that means a five for import empathetic demonstrations and uh self-righteousness zero like we talked about earlier <laughs> for what it's worth the zulu axis will strike uh can we even go to a zero ky <laughs> that's a good, a good question i think that's up for debate but i do want to point out that the kid i would say amidst the 07 onward decline there was uh, a blip on the radar in 2015 with Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, yeah, I will, I'll definitely put an asterisk on that. The, the Mad Max Fury Road. No, sorry for dropping that grenade there <laughs> uh, in that last, but maybe you guys can open up with that uh, next. But I just want to say thanks for uh, inviting me, and I've had such a good time researching. Great to have you. And let's see. Keep in touch. What's our next PTA film extravaganza. Yeah, so my three thoughts are, well, first of all, I am obviously biased towards The Phantom Thread because I'm just obsessed with that movie. But The Master was, I thought, amazing. It was like pretty cerebral. It was not as good as some of his other movies, but I would say whoever the cinematographer was, maybe it was Elswit also, that was just like a masterclass. So that's a cool yeah, one. But yeah. I also want to shout out that I did promise Bradford that we would do B-Nights. So we should we should do that. <laughs> I'm in. All right, so let's do Boogie Nights. It sounds like we need at least Phantom Thread and the Master in the mix. We get at least three more PTAs. Aligned with the kid, I don't think we should do Inherent Vice at all, just given the fact that the book is such a trip and it makes me feel uncomfortable the fact that they did a movie with it which is different from a lot of different book movies that's my take let's start with boogie nights coming to you next week Done. maybe the week after we'll <laughs> talk dvd 